Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing, man. And that's remarkable. Alex, it is a rare occasion that the real baseball news that is dominating the world is also the news that leads our show. And I'm not even trying to pull a fast one on the listeners. I know we do that fun bit where we usually say, we have such big news to talk about. And then it's like, Yasiel Puig wet willied someone or something like that. (laughs) But in this case, it really is. We're really leading the show with big news. Alex, Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel signed this past week. Oh, finally. So the off season's over. Uh, I, I think this I saw is... everyone making that joke, and I was like, "All right, guys." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, finally, man. I, we've. It feels like we've been waiting for this for for so long, and we actually stopped talking about them on this show because, like, for the first month of the show, I think um, we talked about them in terms of like this is collusion. The teams should just pony up and pay them what they're worth. And then through most of May, we were like, okay, it's collusion, but we've all, we've all come to terms with that. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna watch baseball (laughs) like it is. (laughs) And then we were like, oh wait, these guys are still free agents. That's right. Good on, good on them for getting paid. We were kind of like collusion. You hate to see it. You do hate to see it. (laughs) It's crazy how everyone is just kind of like fine with this. It's been kind of compelling to me for over the last couple of days since Kimbrel signed first. He signed three years, $45 million with the Cubs. Then Keiko signed yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Friday morning, so he signed on Thursday afternoon um, with the Atlanta Braves, which I'm salty about, but I guess we can maybe get into that a little bit later. But uh, his contract is one year, $20 million. It's prorated to be $13 million for the games that he's missed so far for the season. So... I think the thing that's been most compelling to me about this is aside from the fact that these guys are going to play baseball again, which is cool to watch and they're both on, you know, important teams to the NL playoff race and important teams to my personal NL playoff race. Um, Aside from that fact, the thing to watch for me has just kind of been like, how does like socialist Twitter handle this? How does like socialist baseball Twitter handle this? Because it's like on one hand, Kimbrell and Keuchel had, a certain amount of agency and not accepting a contract that might have been a little more team friendly, like they wanted to hold out for their money. And that's really good. But on the other hand, there is clearly like a collusion. There's like collusion light for sure. And we don't know if there's collusion heavy, but like the fact that both of these guys signed right after the teams would have had to forfeit a pick to sign them is, I think, a clear indication that all the teams were making the same calculation that it wasn't worth it to them for for these first 60 games of this season just to have these guys who are kind of in their 30s and on the other side of their peak probably, but still very useful players. And with all of that swirling around, it's been sort of interesting to watch people like process in real time what this means for MLB and future collective bargaining agreement and also these teams on this in this season. It's just like, 
it shouldn't have to be this bureaucratic and complicated and frankly like capitalist, but it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. As with, as with most things in life. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think this raises the conversations that we were having over the off season again in that like, this is, there's no way you can look at this and just be like fine with it. You can't look at Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell signing uh, in June and say, you know what? Yes, the the sport is healthy. The sport is good. Let's just move on with our lives. These players are on teams. I mean, I am extremely excited to watch them play again, and I wish that the A's had gone out and signed Dallas Keuchel because uh, our rotation is looking a little little bleak right now. But um, I think this, it still points to some fundamental underlying problems of the way that baseball's like financial um, structure is built right now. And like you were saying, the fact that they signed right after the draft so that the teams wouldn't have to relinquish any picks is a bit jarring. And it felt like at every step of the way, teams had some sort of excuse to say, this is why we're not going to sign him, right? Like, we don't want to go over the uh, the competitive balance tax. We don't want to expend, or we don't want to lose another draft pick or anything like that. And it's clear that it's not just one small part of the system that's broken, but it's this it's a much bigger picture of all these things that kind of add up to each other and create an environment in which Dallas Keuchel, who won the Cy Young in 2015 and is still projected to have an ERA in the mid threes this year that a guy like him would sign in the middle of June. Uh, And I was talking with, I was actually talking with my brother about this last night. So shouts out to him. Shouts out to Toby. Toby. Uh, (laughs) um, and, And he was pointing out that the, the market is, in theory, correcting for decades of overpaying for players past their prime, right? Like, free agency is when you hit your payday, and historically, teams have paid for past performance, and now they're basically just trying to pay for what they think players are actually going to do going forward, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to sign a big contract with a player in their mid-30s when you know that they're about to fall off a cliff. But the problem is that there's no readjustment on the other end of it. So teams are just trying to squeeze money out of every side of these players as much as they can. Uh, so this just feels like one more one more check in that box that says we need to really reevaluate some things here. I hear that line of thinking a lot. And I, I hear it because there have been like a lot of examples of signing players past their primes and it becoming kind of like, uh, an anchor contract that like is holding a team back or like theoretically holding a team back. And we should couch all of this in the fact that like any team could spend for any player that they wanted to in theory, if the owner like ponied up for that cash, but that's an entirely different conversation that we've had like pretty much every episode of this podcast ever. And I hear that line of thinking a lot and it makes a lot of sense because as, as a fan of a team who has paid Jason Bay, who has paid UNS Espedes through his injuries now, who has paid Bobby Bonilla, like all these jokes that you can throw at different teams about who they've overpaid. The Yankees have overpaid overpaid Jacoby Ellsbury, and everybody knew it was an overpay at the time. Like, if if they came out and gave Keiko like a 10-year deal for 200 million, I would have been like, uh. And and you know this, like when the Red Sox signed David Price for 240 million or whatever they did, I was like, I don't really think that's a very good contract for them. 
if I'm going to do team speak for a minute. But, you know, I got over it because who really cares? It's not my money. And they won a World Series. So it turned out to be fine. But I think that it's almost crazy how how teams and owners and I guess the commissioner's office, because he technically works for the owners, have sort of like played this long con in that earlier, if you go back to like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, when a guy in his early to mid 30s would get a big contract for for what he did earlier in his career for that team, it would almost be thought of as like rewarding him for all of the surplus value in theory. I mean, they weren't using terms like this at the time, but in theory, all of the surplus value that he added from age 23 to 30. And it's sort of like a, you got me back for all of that, that I, I, I put my head down and I worked hard for you. And now you're going to reward me like that old, that old idea, that old capitalist idea of keep your head down and you'll be rewarded eventually. Well, teams have now framed this new analytics era and it's hard to know if they planned for this or if they just fell into this long con. But teams have now framed the analytics era as a reason not to even give that payoff to these guys in the end. So now they're having it both ways. And I think that's the most frustrating part of watching this unfold with Keikel and Kimbrell. Because like you said, Keikel won the Cy Young in 2015. Kimbrell has been the best closer in baseball for the last five years, you know, give or take a couple of Edwin Diaz's and, and those types. But for the last five years, the most consistent great closer in baseball. And he didn't look great in the postseason last year, but he was a key cog in a bullpen that won a World Series. And I'm not trying to tell you that he was locked down or whatever, but these are the types of guys that in the 80s would have gotten rewarded for their service, so to speak. And now teams get it both ways because they can frame it through analytics. Like analytics is this bastion of understanding the game for fans, but teams have weaponized it. And I don't think there's ever going to be a better example of how it's played out than Keiko and Kimbrell. Yeah, uh, I could not have said it any better myself. I think that something like Sabermetrics brings a lot of value to the baseball community as fans and analysts and as you know professional members of the media which we are because we have a baseball podcast um i think we we enjoy sabermetrics very much but uh, i am a professional (laughs) member of the media for what it's worth yes (laughs) um yeah there are certainly more sinister uses all right speaking of sinister things and the way that baseball unfolds in the media alex you wanted to talk about clint frazier um I didn't know about what's been going on with Clint Fraser in the past week. And that might become a theme of this podcast throughout the rest of the episode that Alex wanted to talk about a thing. And I didn't know what was going on because I just haven't been very plugged in over the last couple of weeks because I don't know if you've heard, but these two teams are playing in the NBA finals. And that is also part of my job. So, Alex, take it away. Tell me what's going on with our, our boy Clint Fraser, bat speed king. So, Clint Fraser, um, professional baseball player and former owner of incredible locks of red hair, but he plays Mm -hmm. for the Yankees, so that's no more. He uh, has been in a bit of hot water with the New York media, as everyone is every once in a while, because he's had a a few defensive miscues this year in the outfield. Some of them have been pretty bad. It's It's not a great look. He's still a good hitter, so he's still bringing some value to the team. But um, So during a game against the Red Sox, this past week, he had quite 
he had a handful of poor plays in right field. And following the game, reporters wanted to ask him about the plays that may have cost the Yankees the game. And he I think had, it's safe to say they definitely cost the Yankees the game. <laughs> well, maybe the Yankees should have just scored more runs. Huh? Maybe, uh, maybe Glaber Torres should have just hit six home runs and uh, they wouldn't have lost. Score 10 runs, cowards. <laughs> um, Frazier had no interest in talking to the media. And he was scorned by the New York media. He was chastised, getting chastised. He was getting flamed by the New York media for refusing to speak. Because this flamed. is... I mean, this A is... A millennial of you. <laughs> this is something that comes up every so often. I mean, we've talked about this with Matt Harvey. Um, we've talked about this with other players who, across sports, who aren't interested in talking to the media. And New York is a media scene if there ever was one. So obviously the reporters and uh, tabloids descended on him. And a couple of nights later, he was asked about refusing to speak to the media and he doubled down. And he said, uh, I don't regret it. To be fair, I don't think I owe anyone an explanation because it's not a rule that I have to speak. Uh, I know that it came out that I was ducking the media, but that wasn't what I'm trying to do. I've owned up to my mistakes in the past saying it shouldn't happen. Uh, you know, since I got traded over here, there have been stories that shouldn't have come out that have come out. Um, he goes on and says that it, it started with the hair. Uh, then it started with me asking for a number that I didn't ask for. Uh, then it started with another guy saying I shouldn't, I should be out on the field playing through a concussion. It's been difficult, and I don't oh think God. it's been fair at times. I don't owe anyone an apology for not talking. And I got to say, I think he's kind of right. <laughs> I'm kind of on his side here. <laughs> what, yeah. uh, what is your reaction to this, Bobby? So, you know, you and I have disagreed in the past about a player's responsibility and I guess their propensity toward speaking with members of the media. You know, you and I have sort of had it out about the way that Kevin Durant has handled the media and the way that sometimes Draymond has handled the media. And I feel like we've mostly had this conversation in basketball just because, I don't know, I feel like there's not as quite as much confrontation in baseball with the media unless it's like totally deserved. I I generally fall under the in the school of thinking that you should just answer the questions, you know, like you're a baseball player. It's part of this industry, right? That media covers the games and it props all of this up. It props this multi-billion dollar industry up that people write about it. People watch it. People care about it. People consume the writing. And I think the journalist's job in all of this is valid. And this, a lot of the times, most of the times, it's just a regular dude just try, or a regular gal just trying to get their quote for their story. And I think you're right in your counter to that when, when we've disagreed on this in the past that largely that quote is useless and probably not that valuable to the overall feel of the story. But as long as reporters, editors are requiring them to get that quote, then reporters have to go out there and get that quote. And that's a, you know, if you want to revolutionize the journalism industry, we can, we can do that. But that's a longer conversation as it pertains to Clint Frazier. I think a lot of what he's saying is fair. And I was remarking to you before we started this, this podcast that you go on Twitter, you search Clint Frazier and you're like reading all of whatever. And, and I'm, you know, I'm like watching clips from SNY and 
Andy Martino, who is a reporter who covers um, the Mets and the Yankees for SNY. And I, I like, I'm a pretty frequent reader of his Mets stuff because I read all of the Mets stuff or whatever. But I think where Fraser has a valid argument and where he could say, like, I don't, I don't want to talk about this story bigger than just what happened on the field. Like, I think he acquitted himself really nicely. He said, I think his quote was something like, I lost us the game. Clearly my errors were the reason we lost, like, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's really, I think that's a normal response. I think that's a pretty human response. And where it starts to push the boundaries further from the media side is that Andy Martino is saying things like he's alienating his teammates. Like the quote was, he's alienating, he's alienating teammates who already roll their eyes at this guy for a number of reasons. That's sort of like hypothetical speak that you hear reporters saying all the time about like a guy's attitude in the clubhouse. Like I kind of wish we had a lot less of that. And the one time that I sort of am with the players in not wanting to answer questions and refusing to talk to certain guys in the media is when guys do generalized speak like this. It's like, the rest of the clubhouse kind of like doesn't like this guy, you know, like all that, like whisper reporting. I don't love it. And in this instance, I kind of agree with Clint Fraser too. I know you're probably like giddy over there hearing me kind of come down on your side on this finally, but you know, I still do think it's worthwhile, like talking to reporters after games and answering to your mistakes and kind of acknowledging that like, whatever, it's just a game. But when it's stuff like this, when it's like, the rest of the team is rolling their eyes at this guy. I'm like, why? Cause he's hitting 300 and has filled in really nicely for a really injured team. I'm like he's doing fine. You know, let's all just put this in perspective. Everything is okay. And the New York media never really does put things into perspective and it's never really like everything is fine. Yeah. I think that this is, it's an interesting situation because it's not like Fraser consistently spurns the media or anything like that. This is a situation after this is a situation directly following a a really tough game for him, right? Being played on arguably like the biggest stage in baseball, right? Like Yankees, Red Sox, you cost them the game. I can sympathize with the fact that maybe you don't want to go out there and have to answer dozens of questions about that, right? Like you just need a night to collect your thoughts. You're probably not going to go out there and and give any sort of insightful comments on your defense anyway. Like, yeah. like you're probably gonna gonna be like, yeah, I I fucked up. What what else do you want me to say? Right? Like, and that's I what he did say when right, he eventually exactly. did talk to them. <laughs> and there's a and there's a part of me that really thinks certain corners of the New York media really enjoy this. Like, they really love the concern trolling that these sorts of situations allow them to do, right? It's a break from the normal uh, writing about about whatever, about whether Noah Syndergaard's going to be good again ever or not. Because all of a sudden, cool. you have you have tabloid fodder for the next week, right? Ken Davidoff in the New York Post can write about how Clint Fraser must learn to tune out the noise before it's too late. And it's like, I think, while I know that most media members would like for the players to talk to them. I also think that there's a certain thrill that at least some members of the media probably get out of this sort of thing because all of a sudden you can write all your uh, really overly dramatic articles and you can get the clicks and you can you can put Clint Fraser on the on the front of the New York Post and I it feels it just feels very overblown to me when he just had a human moment and said, "Guys, I 
get me next time. I think in a weirdly backwards way, and bear with me here on this analogy, I think in a weirdly backwards way, when stuff like this happens, where like a tabloid gets spurned for a quote or whatever, or a guy won't talk to the media, it makes them feel more important. It makes the newspapers, the reporters, the editors, whatever, makes them feel more important because it makes them feel like the pressure was potentially too much for that player in New York. And it like feeds into this New York media narrative, which I think like it is hard in New York. There is a lot of media coverage. Whatever. There's like a lot more people to answer for. The fans are really vocal and intense and knowledgeable. And um, in some cases, obviously there's exceptions to all of this, but I hate the way that when a player sort of like shows any cracks or under pressure at all, it, it, which I guess you could argue this Clint Frazier thing is sort of like a, I don't, I don't want the pressure of talking to the press right now. That's what they'll argue. I hate when, when media outlets pounce on that and they're like, see just another player who folded under the pressure of New York media. And I'm like, the pressure of trying to hit a Chris sale fastball is a lot more than the pressure of trying to talk to Andy Martino. Like, let's be real. They're not folding under the pressure of not wanting to talk to you after the game. They might just not be having a great season. And in this case, that's not even the case because Clint Frazier is having a really good season. Like I said, filling in for the injured Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron judge two MVP candidates, you know, Clint Frazier is doing just fine. And he doesn't need to grow up to learn how to handle the pressure because he's still doing fine on the field. You know, he's not having a total meltdown, Matt Harvey style. And here's where here's where my metaphor comes in. It almost reminds me of, and I, I hate this dynamic, but it's like the media is like the the father in the situation. They, they like anoint themselves the father. And you know when you're like a teenager and you do something and you mess up and you're like talking to your parents about it. And if you stay silent and you don't say anything, it like gives your dad or your mom or whoever might be lecturing you in this situation the opportunity to just talk unfiltered and lecture at you for like an hour straight. And if you finally say something, then the lecture stops. But if you don't say anything, then they just keep lecturing you and keep lecturing you and keep lecturing you. Maybe that's a personal experience for me, but I feel like that's at least in a lot of movies and TV shows as well. And that's like what this reminds me of. It's essentially like, Clint Fraser didn't say anything, so now the New York media is like, this is our chance. There's silence. We can lecture him. And that's exactly what you're describing in the New York Post with, I forget the name of the columnist or whatever, but saying that he can't handle the pressure. Yeah. And it's it's nothing new, certainly. And I know that I know that these tabloid writers have uh, probably have some sort of quotas that they need to fill. And they have a certain amount of clicks that they need to get. We're all just out here, yeah. out here grinding. But uh, <laughs> I think it is not unfair to say that some media, some members of the media, and just generally speaking, the kind of a lot of the ire that is directed towards players in these sorts of situations are not always in good faith. Yeah. All right, let's move on, Alex. The last thing that I have on our notes before we get to three up, three down, a recurring weekly segment. Um, when we have a weekly podcast, which has not happened over the last two weeks. But the last thing I have on our notes here is a phrase that you said before we started recording. And hold on, let me get your quote directly right. I think it is, quote, send the Pirates broadcasters to the guillotine. End <laughs> oh, quote. Jesus. <laughs> uh, what uh, happened with the Pirates <laughs> this past week? Okay. 
we all know Derek Dietrich. We love him on this podcast. He is he's a true icon. Um, he, among many other players on the Reds, I think are doing a good job of of capturing our interests this year and uh, and uh, making baseball fun again. We're uh, and we're all about that here on this podcast. But the Pirates broadcasters are. <laughs> Absolutely not into this. No fun in baseball. That's not allowed. And this is not a, a new thing where we've seen Pirates broadcasters rip on players who are having fun. In fact, I can count like a handful of times, which is this has happened this year. But the the reason this came up in the past week is because John Wanner, I uh, maybe is that how you say his name? I'm sure. Know. I don't care. His, uh, who's a one of the broadcasters for the Pirates, he appeared on a like a morning talk show in Pittsburgh. This was this is now like a week ago, and he was talking about Derek Dietrich, and he's clearly not a fan because he said, "quote I can't stand him. <laughs> I <laughs> I just <laughs> I just don't see why that one's tough I, to interpret. It is tough to interpret." Um, this is this is following like him admiring a home run and taking a slow trot around the bases, which he does a lot of. And so he says, I just don't see why. I don't understand why you have to do that. It's different if you're a Hall of Fame player. You're a 60 homer guy. You're an established guy. Nobody ever oh, heard of him. You have to hit 60 homers to be able to trot around the bases. <laughs> Nobody ever heard of him before this year. Okay. That's that's pretty bad. It's it's pretty bad to have a team's broadcaster coming out and just openly admitting that he doesn't like an opposing player. However, he didn't stop talking. He went, he went on. <laughs> he said, I heard of him because of his grandfather, Steve Demetter, I think is how you say his name, uh, who used to be a minor league coach for the Pirates. He was the nicest, sweetest guy in the world. He's rolling in his grave every time this guy hits oh a home my run. God. He's embarrassed of his grandson. Oh my God. This is so bad. <laughs> I, so, so I didn't hear about this before this week. Because like I said, I've been kind of logged off this week. And we were talking about it before we started recording the show. And I said, should I? You said, oh, my God, it's so bad. And then you started to talk about it. And I said, wait, should you just reveal this live to me on the podcast? So this is my live reaction. What the hell is going on? He's speaking for Derek Dietrich's since past grandfather <laughs> somebody cut the mic somebody in the production staff go to commercial i don't care if it's the middle of the inning what is happening i do, i bobby i wish i could tell you i this is like mind-bogglingly stupid and i just i cannot understand why people like this have a job as a major league <laughs> broadcaster, <laughs> like Jesus Christ, this is this is so bad. Derek Dietrich flips bats and admires home runs, and he's capital A, capital L lot. He's a lot. I'll just put he it that way. Um, yeah. His whole like all of his like workout videos and stuff, and the cutoff sleeves. And- he he seems like he seems like a lot. <laughs> And I imagine that maybe anyone might need just a little breather from him once in a while. However, he has he openly has more fun on the baseball field than like 98% of baseball players. And 
I guess I see why that would be grating to an opposing player or an opposing broadcaster, but this just doesn't feel like the way to go about dealing with that sort of thing, invoking the man's dead grandfather and purporting to speak for him <laughs> while while talking about said player's arrogance. I, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't add up to me. I think something that I have been coming to terms with or just kind of realizing about a lot of these like announcer uh, moments where they say something like this or just insensitive or extremely old fashioned is a very charitable interpretation of what some people say, or just like plain racist, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, I think what I've been coming to terms with and realizing is that these are just the moments when their inner monologue becomes their outer monologue too much, because in a way like their inner monologue becoming their outer monologue is literally just the announcer of a job, the job of an announcer. It's like, say what you think, uh, share what's happening on the fields, uh, describe what you're seeing in front of you. Um, it's almost like off the top of your head. And I think like these guys who harbor a lot of these thoughts need to find a way to cordon off some of these terrible thoughts, or we just need to get them the hell out of here. And when announcers prove that their inner monologue contains thoughts like, what would this guy's dead grandfather think about him having fun? I should sort of I should share my opinion about what this guy's grandfather thought because I totally know Derek Dietrich's grandfather way better than Derek Dietrich himself knew. Like it's just so asinine and it's so unsurprising that we keep getting moments like this. And I guess that that's a natural segue into the very next point on this same topic in that the Pirates broadcasters again in a in a banner week for them. Again, shared some some pretty racist thoughts about Ronald Acuna. And I'm just going to play that clip for you right here. You know, I, I was getting ready to say, you know, with a young player just doing all that stuff and all the jewelry and all the stuff, uh, back in the day, uh, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but... Uh, or that that was done on purpose. Hard to believe it was done on purpose. No, I'm not good. suggesting that. Much. That's why I don't know if you've heard, but he just doesn't play the game the way they want. Have you heard that one before? Have you heard that line of thinking? No, I've never heard that before. That's wild. You you never considered the fact that he might be playing the game in a way that makes old white guys uncomfortable? I think <laughs> I think the best part about this clip is the fact that Acuna didn't do anything. Like this was He literally just got hit was, by a pitch. <laughs> this was an unintentional hit by pitch. And Steve Blass Pirates broadcaster. Worth noting that these are two separate guys who have made these comments so far. So, like, there is a theme running around this broadcast booth. Um, Steve Blass uses this moment to talk about how Acuna wears too much jewelry. That's, uh, yeah, I guess if that's the sort of thing that keeps you up all night, sure. And he was thinking that, like, this is why Acuna got hit by a pitch and and then he like starts ragging on Acuna for staring at the pitcher or something I uh, I just I can't even I can't even try to figure out like the train of thought that led him here you know like it was just mm-hmm. kind of like he was like on the left side of his brain it was like Ronald Acuna got hit by a pitch and on the right side of his brain it was like 
got to say something racist. How do we connect the dots? <laughs> yeah. I would say take a shot every time a Pirates broadcaster says, back in my day, but I think you might literally die from alcohol poisoning. <sighs> Can we talk about the this, just the jewelry train of thought for a second? Sure. Hit me with it. I just, I want, I actually don't. I'm trying to understand what bothers people about this. I really am. Because how is it offensive to people who are sitting in the booth watching a, a future MVP of the league, the one of the best young players that we have in baseball right now, reigning rookie of the year, easily the cornerstone of the Braves franchise for the next 20 years, or the next 10 years or whatever, however long he plays. We hope Ronald Acuna plays forever. How is it that you're watching that guy and you're like, the little flair that he adds to his uniform, that's the part I don't like. The, the personalization of his look on the field, that's the part that really gets me going. I just don't understand how two chains around Ronald Acuna's neck can really trigger these guys that much. I just, like, I really just don't get it. He's just having a good time. He's just wearing what he wants. <laughs> like, what are we doing? It's not affecting you or the way he plays baseball at all. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a reach, certainly. And obviously, it's just like coded language, right? It's like, it's not really about the chains. It's about like, it's about his skin color, I guess, <laughs> is the most frank way of saying it. And I know all that. I just, I don't get the like the mental calculation that you try to make to connect one dot to the other, kind of like you're describing in his brain. And I'm just so tired of it, man. The broadcast shit is like really exhausting because like these are the guys that get paychecks from organizations. These are the guys that are the voices and the most front facing members of the baseball community other than the players. And I watch the Mets broad I watch the Mets all the time and I always make a point to listen to their broadcast when I can when I'm not working or whatever. And it makes me so happy. I derive so much joy from Gary, Keith, and Ron from that booth. And they have some backwards thinking comments from time to time. And Keith especially has had his moments where I hate the way he's framing something and and the intentionality behind that. But I know how much I personally love watching a broadcast and how it sets the tone and sets the beat for the mood that I'm in while watching baseball. And for the Pirates announcers to just like want to rile up the fan base and create anger towards opposing players, it's just like, why are you in this business? Just go do something else. Just go be a political consultant if you want to just make people angry. If you can't, if you can't watch Derek Dietrich hit home runs like, and, and you can't watch Ronald Acuna wear chains around his neck, like this is not the profession for you. Just retire. Yeah, well, I think that it's, Rob Manfred wants to drum up all this controversy and conversations about youth interest in baseball or just general interest in baseball. But it's like, how about you start with the people who are on the front lines of this sort of thing, right? The people yeah. who the people who are essentially spokespeople for the game at the end of the day. And you can there's a there's another conversation to be have had about like journalistic ethics or, or anything like that and homerism and there it's a really complicated role but you want someone out there who at the very least wants to be out there and actually enjoys 
what they're watching. And if not, then what, what are we all doing this for? Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break, come back and do a little rapid fire three up, three down. Don't call me a friend. Hey. Don't call me a friend. Don't call me a friend. Hey. You know it's more than that. Okay, Alex. Recurring segment, three up, three down. It's what the fans, they demand it. Every week we get hundreds of tweets at us saying, three up, three down, what's it going to be this week? They're trying to guess three up, three down. It's amazing. It's really a groundswell of support for this beautiful segment that we've come up with, right? Yeah. Yes, really. <laughs> that's, uh, that's totally all I believe say. us. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Do you want to kick us off this week? Sure. Here are the things off my list. And I promise I actually went back and listened to some past episodes to see what was still on my list. So, uh, honor. So, yeah. Um, all right. First off my list, Shohei Otani. And uh, not because I dislike him, but more because I think the, the j- initial swell of love for him when he came off the DL has now subsided a little bit. And he's back to being really good against the A's. And so I am thinking about him less in terms of, wow, I love to see him play and hit the ball far. And more in terms of, hey, could you not do that to us, please? (laughs) (laughs) Alex H. Shohei Otani confirmed. Next off my list, A-Rod pooping. He came out this past week. Oh my God, I I literally forgot all about that. (laughs) He came out this past week and said he's going to get blinds. So good on you, A-Rod. I don't know why you didn't have blinds for your toilet before, but uh, you know what? We, at least at least you got there eventually. When you need a scandal in the, in the New York media and a lawsuit just to decorate your home, <laughs> that's real big male energy, you know? Yeah, there really is. Uh, last off my list is my love Damian Lillard because Joe Blazers got eliminated. So I will yeah, always, I, <laughs> in dramatic fashion, um, I will always have that image of him in my head. I may have it saved to my desktop, but unfortunately he will not remain on three up, three down. Once a king, always a king. Truly. Okay. Bobby, what's off your list? Uh, the Bruce Willis first pitch. Mm. You remember that old thing? I remember that old thing. That he, feels like ages ago. He definitely skipped that bad boy. Uh, next off the list, um, Yasiel Puig's new hair and subsequent bat flip against Bumgarner. That was a really wordy thing that I had on my list, but that's coming off because I uh, haven't been crushing a ton of Reds baseball recently, although I did have to watch Madison Bumgarner go six innings or seven innings and uh i was constantly reminded of the 2016 and a wild card game and i did not appreciate that thanks a lot austin um and the last thing uh the last thing i'm taking off my list is from a few weeks ago actually um does the nl east actually have any good teams or are they all or are they all just average i think i've decided that they're they're good they're better than average they're not great, but they're good. So I'm not thinking about that thought anymore because I've I've come around. Phillies are good. Braves just signed Keiko. They're pretty good. 
Cunha. Ever heard of that guy? He's good. The Mets are a different story, but whatever. Okay, what's trending up for you, Alex? What's the first thing you're adding onto your list? Oh my God, this was actually hard this week. I had quite a few things and I had to uh, narrow my list down a little bit. Uh, in part because we haven't recorded in <laughs> quite a while. But uh, first thing yeah. on my list that I have not been able to stop thinking about is the Lonely Islands, uh, the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience, their mm. half-hour half hour visual album that they released on Netflix a few weeks ago. My goodness, it's a, a thing of beauty. It is just the most bonkers, wacky, creative look at Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco that I have ever seen. And I really didn't know how much I needed Andy Samberg in an A's uniform until, <laughs> until this came out. I, I, we don't talk enough about Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. That's my thought on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> or, I mean, maybe, maybe not in a podcast forum. I just mean like, I don't think we consider how ridiculous that time of the world was, I guess. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. You know you know who is considering that is uh is the Lonely Island. Yeah, and Jose Canseco himself on Twitter. That's true. I will I will say that I'm I'm bringing this up now because they officially declined my interview request, which I'm which I'm quite sad about. However, if you the listener knows Andy Samberg or any other member of the Lonely Island, please let us know and and hook us up because we want them to come on and talk for hours about where the hell they came up with this idea and how they got it published. Andy Samberg, come on tipping pitches. Okay. True. My first one, Dallas Keuchel's chin. <laughs> has been it's it's been a big topic of conversation on twitter and slack etc my colleague michael bauman is literally obsessed with dallas keichel's chin and i have to say i have a take he has a totally normal chin everyone's talking about how they want to see his chin he might have to shave his beard if he goes to the yankees he's gonna look so weird without a beard i think he's a pretty handsome guy he looks fine without a beard he looks better with one People discover that in their adulthood, it's fine. If you go back and you look at pictures of him in Arkansas or whatever you SEC school he went to, I think it was Arkansas, he looks he looks fine. He's a handsome and successful guy. Let's leave let's leave Dallas Keuchel's chin alone. It would be fine if it was naked, and it would be fine if it's covered in a beard. That's yeah. my thought on that. Yeah, no, I think there were some moments on the Astros even early on in his Astros career where he was. Uh, beardless and yes he he does look good i i see no i see no problems with it <laughs> i know everyone's pretending like he has like the crimson chin from fairly odd parents or something i'm like no he looks totally normal yeah dallas keichel you do you I, I think it'd be a major flex if he went to the braves and still shaved his beard he was like fuck you guys <laughs> <laughs> all right what's up next for you we gotta keep this moving next up for me and I want to preface this, preface this by saying that I love Tr- Todd Frazier, but he is personally moving down in my power rankings after I've seen how he eats pancakes. Oh boy! Oh boy, is right. The uh, I don't I don't know I don't remember if it was on Snapchat or Instagram, but uh, but he posted a photo on social media of pancakes that he had eaten, and he doesn't eat the the edge. Of the pancake, 
He just eats. Crust, he just eats a. He just eats say. a little hole, little hole right in the middle of the pancakes. <laughs> yes, he doesn't eat the crust of the uh, of the pancake. He just he keeps keeps the crust intact. Instead of cutting it off, he just he just dives right into the middle. And frankly, I uh, we really should have him on the podcast to talk about where the hell he picked this up because it's blasphemous if we're really being honest with ourselves. It looks like he's trying to create a science fair volcano. He's trying to create something, certainly. I'm I'm concerned about him. This is weird. The edge of a pancake it's, is the same as the middle of a pancake. It's just a pancake. There's no crust. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yelling a lot in this episode. <laughs> Good pull, Alex. Good pull. Todd Fraser. Do do a little better. Don't waste that pancake, my friend. Yeah, there's so much there's so much good pancake right there. It's God, waffles oh, are better man. than pancakes, my column. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right. Next on your list. The Dodgers lineup. It's just that's it. It's nakedly that they're the best lineup in baseball. They're unbelievable to watch. No one is easy to get out. I know this because the Mets played them last week and I went to two of those three games and it never felt like anything was safe because obviously you have Bellinger and Justin Turner is amazing and Jack Peterson is having like a sneaky, unbelievable year. Um, but then it's just the depth of that lineup and the way they string together hits. I mean, I know that's like generally thought of as pretty random, but when you watch their team, like it it certainly doesn't feel that way. Um, even like Alex Verdugo sitting on the bottom of their lineup, like he's usually like six, seven, eight or so. And he's sitting like over 300 and he's playing a pretty good outfield. Like the Dodgers lineup is unbelievable and their bullpen is a disaster right now, but you got to think that like. Their farm system is good enough to trade for, I don't know, like a Sean Doolittle or something once the Nats completely tear down. And wouldn't it be really wild if they just traded their entire farm system for Max Scherzer and Sean Doolittle and they were like, fuck this, we're actually going to win the World Series this year. That's my thoughts on that. The Dodgers lineup, if you don't watch them frequently, they're an unbelievable baseball team to watch. Sure. Why not? I'm, I'm here for it. You, Cody Bellinger is Ted Williams, if you didn't know. He's going to hit 400 this year. And uh, and Corey Seager's turning it back on. Unfortunately, my love, Kike Hernandez, has had a bit of a down year, but I'm confident that he's going to bounce back. So I'm not worried there. But yes, the Dodgers are extremely good, well on their way to losing yet another World Series. So props to them. <laughs> Every time I see Kike or hear Kike's name, I, I just want to make Keek Bay happen. It just doesn't work, man. all right what's your last one all right last on my list this is from uh this is from like a a little over a week ago from around memorial day we didn't we didn't talk much about memorial day memorial day baseball the the jingoism that surrounds it but you know it's not too out of place for baseball however the fresno grizzlies the minor league team had what you could say an interesting Memorial Day tribute that was shown on their screen during mm-hmm. a baseball game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so first of all, this video was like four minutes long. It was way too long to be shown at a baseball game. Now this is Fresno. We're like we're like right in the mil- middle of conservative like Rust Belt country. So I am not surprised, but uh. But they had some interesting. It was a Ronald Reagan speech that underlined the the whole thing. And yeah, it was. 
Yeah, it was. And the, the video showed some of America's enemies of freedom, included characters, good characters like Fidel Castro, Kim Jong-un. Uh, also showed images of Antifa protesters, so anti-fascists, oh anti enemies of freedom, you heard it here first. And uh, <laughs> Alexandria o Ocasio-Cortez, also, also an enemy of freedom. And frankly, if there was ever a sport that this sort of thing was going to happen in, of course it was going to be baseball, but <laughs> it's just It's either baseball or thing. like SEC football, you know? Like, yeah. I could see this happening at, like, the University of Missouri. I gotta be yeah. honest. <laughs> my, question, my question is, like, even if you didn't, whatever, they said that they, like, accidentally left in the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez person. Like, that was a mistake, I think. They tried to, like, walk it back. Even if you didn't mean to include Antifa and AOC or whatever, how could you possibly think that showing this kind of video and showing on screen enemies of freedom would ever go over well like that's such a high wire act why would you ever even set yourself up for failure like that you know what you don't have to do show crazy political propaganda videos at baseball games like just just my advice would be don't do that yeah i i suppose i'm i'm not surprised and in minor league baseball you can get away with way more i guess because the the general national media attention is rarely on you but what a way to turn the spotlight on you uh, I mean, they lost a ton of sponsors over this, <laughs> and rightfully so, because this is quite a quite a fuck up. But you know, Antifa and AOC are are the enemies of our freedom. So what are you going to do? Usually, minor league teams try to drum up interest by changing their names to weird shit. So maybe next week they'll change their names to <laughs> the Fresno Enemies of the State or something. <laughs> All right, what's your last thing? Okay, my last thing. And we don't really have time right now to go in depth on this because we're we're running short on time here. I'm flying to New York and you got you've got some lunch plans. So I'm gonna keep this one tighter than I was anticipating. But because I've been more in tune with the MLB draft this past week than really like any other year that I can remember, just because like work work has required me to and I've been like reading and listening on fan graphs a lot about it and I wanted to pose the question to you, and we can maybe have this conversation next week, but the sort of like draft uniformity that's come from, and, and it's not, that's like a false concept. It's not like really uniform between all 30 teams, but like the kind of like sabermetric, I hate to use the term groupthink because that's taken on such like a political connotation, but the whole like build a draft model and and build a player acquisition model and just follow it to the letter of the law or like let that influence the type of players you get. Like I think it's creating like a weird future outlook for baseball and, and it's almost like a dystopian future outlook. And it, it scares me a lot. Like every year when the draft rolls around or when we talk about like player development and player acquisition and mo and like analytical modeling and that kind of thing, like, it's kind, of, it's kind of scary. I'm not trying to be like an anti-sabermetrics guy. Or I'm not trying to be like a let's get back to the way we used to evaluate players kind of guy. But like I can just see like the teams and the billions of dollars that are being invested, invested into this, like just taking it like way too like dystopian future far. I'd love to have more of a conversation with you about that later, but I'll keep that on my list right now. And uh, we'll keep this moving along as quickly as possible. Yeah, the draft gets 
weirder and weirder every year. And everyone who's like, hey, you shouldn't look at players as just numbers on a spreadsheet. Oh, oh boy. What do you think that the MLB draft is? Because that's all it is. Yep. Uh, I, I just I just think that if you put the MLB draft as a concept in like the Hunger Games books, like people would be like, sure, like that would fit right in with that kind of world, you know, like that dystopian future world where we're all like, I, I don't know. It, it's just like it makes me queasy. That's all I have to say about that. I'm on board with that. Um, all right, Alex, we're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, you got a Tebow update for us. So we have not talked about our Lord and Savior, Tim Tebow, in so long, too long, arguably. But I, I got to say, it's kind of his fault because he's been exceptionally bad this year. He's been like he has given us absolutely nothing to talk about. He's slashing 155, 242, 223. He has a lower slugging percentage than on-base percentage. Uh, he has a uh, WRC plus of 22 which means he's 78% worse than league average. But that's not why I wanted to bring up our son. This is an attack Tim on Tebow my freedom, for the record. And Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm an enemy of freedom now. I'm, I, I wanted to bring up Tim Tebow this week because our boy went and got struck out by a position player this week. Uh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Now, this position player threw an 88-mile-per-hour fastball. So it's nothing to sneeze at. Um, however, he's still a position player. And he was kind of yeah, throwing gas, and Tim Tebow looked like a fool. So my guy, do better. I think I have one blanket statement comment in response to this, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap the pot up. My blanket statement comment, and I've used this plenty in the past, is that, Alex, what you're not realizing is that baseball progress is just not linear. You know, it's on a curve. And he's somewhere on that curve right now, but you just got to give him time. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. No further comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if he's had sex yet and if that is doing anything to maybe throw him on his game or off his game, you know, uh, he, did he, did he tie the knot yet? Was it official? I don't really know. We don't really prepare for this segment. No, we don't. We should, uh, we should check back in and see if Fox News has written about his wedding anytime recently. Oh, they certainly will. He's like their fucking flag bearer. Yeah, and honestly, he's our flag bearer too. Weird. <laughs> okay, let's yeah. end there before we, we <laughs> extend this metaphor too much further. Thank you for listening. Uh, we apologize for how long it's been since we had a pod last time. If you didn't check that one, that last one out, it was a, a great conversation with Brittany De La Creta, who is a freelance sports reporter. And we talked to her about kind of her process and 
the work that she's done um, at the intersection of sports and gender. So it was a really fun conversation. It'll be right behind this one in the feed. So check that one out. Um, if you have uh, any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to inform us about Tim Tebow's wedding plans, if you're Tim Tebow's wedding planner, we'd oh. love to have you on the podcast. It's tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. Our DMs are open. Uh, Alex, do you have anything else to add before we get out of here? I legitimately had a dream the other night that we got dozens of emails of like listener questions and that sort of thing. And I woke up to find that it was just a dream and it was not real. However, I implore you, the listener, to make my dreams come true. Send us a question, please. We, we're tired of, of hearing ourselves talk about things that we just <laughs> don't even prepare for. So, uh, so yeah, help us out. Send, send something our way. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>